Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and really excited about today's uh, guest. Uh, this is a, a topic that uh, is on a lot of people's minds, but we're adding in some extra stuff too, so I think, you, I think you're really going to like it. Uh, I'm joined by Michael Kitt, who is the head of private markets and real estate equity investments at RBC Global Asset Management. And Michael, uh, we, we were talking before about how... Uh, how time just seems to pass so quickly now, as we're, you know, maybe more experienced gentlemen uh, than uh, than we were before, and didn't didn't realize we haven't had you on in in, in over two years. I, I how how's everything going? Yeah, very good, Dave. Ni- ni- nice to see you again. I, um, you know, it, it is a case of just time flying by here, and we should have connected between. Um, uh, over the last couple of years, but um, it's not like we. Uh, haven't been busy with uh, it seems like the world is also moving quickly not just time passing by so here oh, we are geez. facing a whole new set of challenges and and um, COVID is behind us but we've got a whole bunch of stuff in front of us now to 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 incorporate into our thinking but you know I'd say overall um, you know things are very very good here and we're very fortunate Absolutely. I mean, we're always fortunate. There's no doubt about that. Uh, just just being where we are and where we live. Uh, but uh, but we were in the midst of the pandemic the last time we talked. I think it was around late 2020, maybe early 2021. I, I don't have the exact date here. Uh, and I would encourage people to go back and listen to uh, to, to that uh, episode, which is still up on any of the places you get your podcasts. Uh, in particular, the first podcast we did with Michael, who was one of our early, early guests uh, back in 2019, uh, talking about his background, which is uh, which is extensive, and why I wanted to get him on this on the topic of commercial real estate. We were musing back then about what might happen as people came back to the office or didn't, and what happened with shopping malls, etc. Commercial real estate in general. And now that we're we're back a little bit, wanted to check back in with him. But but Michael, before we before we go into that, uh, you know, new title as well. And and the and and the new part is is the private markets part. What can you can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, Dave, um, uh, we had talked about this before. I, I I was fortunate to work in the um, in the pension fund business for gosh the bulk of my career, so over well over twenty five years. And um, in that world, um, they committed an extensive um, percentage of their investment portfolio. Uh, let's call it half of their investment portfolio to what they refer to as private market asset classes. So things like real estate, which we had sp- talked about, things like infrastructure and private credit, um, such as mortgages or, or direct lending to businesses. And within this private um, asset class world, um, the pension funds identified a number of, of advantages which, which caused them to push it into it heavily in the last over the last couple of decades and um it's really helped them stabilize their portfolio they've they've uh, they've been able to take advantage of some wonderful investment opportunities and 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 really have had the benefit of being uh, a large institution and get access to things that that uh, generally the the population didn't have access to so fast forward to uh the time here that was our goal is basically to create or replicate um, a set of institutional quality investment alternatives for the individual investor to access. And 
Uh, I think we talked about dem democratization yes. in 2019. I think it's become a pretty common term, actually, in the industry, ironically. And, 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 but that's the philosophy, is make something that hasn't been accessible up until now accessible to the individual investor. We did it with real estate. It's been very successful. It's helped a lot of people in their portfolios. It's done what we set out to do and, and with, with, you know, and to no, no one's surprise because it was a, a down the middle of the fairway um, solution. We're doing it again with infrastructure and doing it again with, um, with the private credit space and, and specifically commercial mortgages. And so overall, uh, we've done this and we've opened up um, the private markets um, and given access to people. And and we really believe this is a story about building wealth. And and we like to talk about the difference between building wealth and making money. Yeah. And you can make money trading. You can make money working. You can make money betting. You can make money day trading. Um, you can make money in all kinds of different ways. But building wealth is very different than making money. Um, making money, you're applying your own time, you know, you're, you've got your job or you're, you're selling things on Kijiji or whatever you're doing to make some money. Building wealth is actually making your money work for you. And, and that is where the private markets um, access really starts to make sense from a building wealth perspective, because these are long-term asset classes. These are asset classes that are not correlated to public markets. They help diversify portfolios. And if you set them up properly, they will build wealth for you over the long term. And that's what the institutions really saw. And and that's, uh, again, this is just a, an area of the market where most retail investors and a lot of people who listen to the podcast, Michael, are, are, are real estate investors. They just weren't able to get access to it. Now, they may have had it through a, a particular pension plan that they, uh, they, they belong to. Uh, but but it's not something you could just walk out and say, hey, I want to get involved in the private credit markets. Uh, I, I'm going to go find an investment there today, um, and and and, it, and it's still not exactly that. But it but it is it 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 does give people, as you say, that that access to markets um, through investing investing through you and and your team. Uh, that that's a huge benefit to them from a diversification standpoint. Yeah, I you know if I I personally um, have never had the ability to invest in. In, in this kind of quality and asset. I, you know, if I wanted to buy a, a, a nice big industrial building out by the Toronto airport, I couldn't do that because, you know, I, I, I'm not wealthy enough. And if I wanted to buy an airport or a, a port, um, I, I certainly couldn't do that because I didn't have a spare billion dollars hanging around. So it, it's access to these kind of investment opportunities that are, that, that just offer the investors something different. And, 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 and they're, the, the private market world is, is very different than the public market world in, in a couple of key ways. First of all, it's an inefficient market. So the private market world, um, you, you can, you can, there is no such thing as, as insider information. In fact, that's what you seek out is inside information. You sign confidentiality agreements to dig in to inside information and, and, and these, these assets disclose all of their information. And so as a buyer, you get to due diligence, all of these, all of this private information to make your investment decision. That's very valuable, very different than the public markets 
where of course everyone has to be there's rules in place where you can't have access to that kind of information you only have to tr you have to trade on only publicly accessible information and so instantly you 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 have an advantage in the private market world if you can if you have the ability to, to uh, and, and I suppose capital strength to enter into that world and, and to, to to buy private market access, so it's a very inefficient market that you can take advantage of, and and um, it, there's skill. It's a unique skill to find these kind of deals, and and um, and so my pension fund background, we've 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 hired a number of people from institutions that have relationships globally, and so they can speak to these wind farms and ports and and toll bridges and big real estate companies and and access mortgage investment opportunities that again they they're just not listed for sale on any public market roster these are quiet off market only available in the private market space so it takes a unique skill to find them but the benefit is you get access to all of this wonderful information to make your investment decision on and they're and the and the the they are illiquid um and so again that's a that's a unique aspect of the private market space but um because you get access to the inf this this kind of quality of information you can make a good long-term decision you're not buying this uh, a toll road for example to just flip it in in three or four months um, because the transaction costs are so high, the opportunity costs are high, to put these deals together is very difficult. But because they are difficult, you get access to great information, you can make a long-term decision, and then boom, you're into a very unique private investment that very few get the opportunity to access. Now, you add that to your portfolio and you sprinkle in some stocks and bonds, and now you've got a really diversified story. Yeah, Michael, are, are there any areas right now of, of, of private markets that you're, you're you're really zeroing in on or that you're particularly excited about? Or or is it, as you suggest, it's, it's just these opportunities come up, you evaluate them almost one by one and determine what the, the, the best course of action is at that point? Yeah, I, I mean, again, people can think about it from a buying a house perspective, I, I suppose is the best way to describe it. You know, you can, you can zero in on an area and, and say, okay, that's the area that I, I I would love to buy my house. And you can walk around the street and point out a few houses that you would like to buy. Truth is, if the house isn't for sale that you'd like to buy, you can't buy it. And it, it is very, it's identical in this private market asset space. So we we do have our eye on, on let's pick the infrastructure world. We want to buy we call it infrastructure 2.0 or new age infrastructure type of assets, and we we have themes that we want to focus on, which which is really uh, the movement inf of information, the movement and storage of information and and people, and so think think new age transportation, think new age digital storing data, moving data, storing people, moving people, social infrastructure, education, hospitals. Those are the kind of infrastructure themes that we're very keen on. But then having said that, we have to wait for the right opportunity and the right global partner. And we have to build this portfolio very thoughtfully and very carefully. So maybe we'll do two or three transactions a year and it will take time to build this kind of portfolio. Um, but the investors come along with us on this on this asset by asset approach, and we build the portfolio together. and And pretty soon, that they have a very unique way to access 
power and you and a, a unique way to access energy exposure and a unique way to ac access data and digital exposure and it isn't just picking the the handful of stocks that that are available today they have you know a much more uh, a much broader investments that, uh, that that we unlock for them to 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 incorporate into their portfolios so I don't know if that helps explain the challenge in the private markets world, but you know that, that that's the way it is. Well, I I, I love the analogy of 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 the uh, of of the real estate market for 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 retail investors. Someone like myself, who the biggest investment, single investment I've made by far in my life, um, is buying my my home, and and then it it's not like I also buy stocks and bonds, but. Uh, buying stocks and bonds very easy. I could I could sit and trade a stock here while on my phone while we're having this conversation uh, quite easily. I wouldn't do that because it's very rude, but but I could, right? Whereas you know that the the house transaction is 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 a much longer process. It's uh, it it's it's not as liquid. Oh, you know, Canadian real estate market moves moves fairly nicely, but but I you know if it, it it's 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 a big purchase you've got to have that you know a significant amount um, and it doesn't happen in in 10 seconds it happens over a period of time you're talking about then ramping it up to a much larger scale but but if I continue on on your analogy you know there's a couple of ways if there's a, if the house in a particular area that that I like I, I I can sit and wait for it to come on the market and just uh, scan around and be aware of, of, of the potential for that that to become available because I love it so much or I could just go and knock on the door and say, "Hey, are you ever going to sell this place?" Is is do, do you do both, or is it? Uh, it or is, so some of them come to you. Yeah, well, in fact, the real estate portfolio was built that very way. The entire portfolio was built on knocking on the door. Um, wow. And if you recall, we set up that relationship with BCI, and and yeah. uh, you know, it was not on the market. It was not accessible. It was not even a concept that was that was around. So we. That that entire business was was set up by knocking on a door, and um, similarly in the infrastructure space, we'll knock on doors and and we'll we'll also look what's available, and we'll um, you you have to the more general approach, the less constrained approach you have, the better success you'll have. That, that's life. You you try to avoid being constrained, and and what you want to find are those opportunities that are just hard to replicate. They have a moat around them. That, that, that protects them from competition and really helps you generate great long-term returns. And we've also built a team here, and that's another unique difference between the public markets and the private market space. When you buy a stock, um, I suppose you could call up the CEO and say you'd like them to run their business a different way or you don't like the decisions they're making, but I'm not sure that they would take that call. You could try. In the private market space, you do have the opportunity to drive incremental value. In fact, after the acquisition is made, that's often when you make the strongest return. So if you buy a building, you can renovate or expand or add density to it. If you buy an infrastructure asset, you can often change the business model and expand and, and, and really grow that business and add value post acquisition. So it isn't just on the buy and the sell that you're making um, a return. You're also making a return on that added alpha. And I loved what the CEO of, um, of CPPIB had. He, he was quoted in the paper maybe a month or two ago. Um, and he called it the decade of alpha. And, I, and, I, and what he meant by that was it, it isn't just about buying passive 
investment ideas anymore. That's not going to work with, with all of the information available in the computer trading and the, now the AI that, that, is, that is really going to just think quicker than anyone and, and really synthesize all of these returns. It's, it, what is going to differentiate and what investors have to focus on the most is finding opportunities where they can add value. And that's alpha. Beta is the market. Alpha is the extra value that you can create in, in finding these businesses that are hard to replicate or hard to access and have a moat where you can add value over the long term. And, and it will be a decade of that. And again, you know, the private market space is where, where owning a building directly allows us to add value around leasing uh, decisions or, 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 or building a new building on in some extra land that we have. And, and it, the same goes for the infrastructure space. So that active asset management skill can really make a difference. And, and, that, uh, and, and being in markets that are you know, somewhat less efficient, as you initially described in, at, at, at the front end of the podcast, that that helps you, if you know what you're doing, of course, um, gives you the potential to find that extra alpha. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, another difference between public and, and private markets is when you buy a stock, I'm sure most people know this, but maybe not all, there is a standardized contract in place behind that transaction. So um, the government, regular, the, the regulatory authorities have a standardized contract in place to protect um, the buyer and the seller of a stock. Because it really literally is today, you push a button, you've bought a stock, you push this button, you sell, sold a stock. But behind that are actually very, very controlled, efficient contracts that protect the buyer and the seller. In the private market space, those are all negotiated. And there's, a, again, a real opportunity to add value in the contract negotiation, build in certain rights that aren't necessarily embedded in the price, but give you benefits into the future. And we, we've done that in our, in our real estate transaction. We'll do that in the infrastructure transaction. It gives us the opportunity to influence decisions in the future. It gives us the opportunity to grow in ways that you, you can't, again, build into a, uh, a public market contract. And so there's these non-price, let's call it opportunities or embedded values that are in private market valuations that, again, set it apart um, from public value, uh, public market opportunities. And so, you know, putting that all together, this is why the pension funds and the institutions invested so heavily in private market assets because they get all of these benefits. And then you line those up beside your public market investments. And what you've got is a very diversified portfolio that really starts to be able to move through these challenging times and doesn't swing up and down with the kind of volatility we've seen certainly over the past three or four years, it's been a crazy ride in the public markets. Yeah, and 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 again, I think what is so amazing about what you're doing uh, is 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 again that access that you're giving to just people that would not have had that access before, um, and and making the decision to 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 enter into that. Mike, Michael, just um just before we 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 close up. A uh, lot of news around commercial real estate, and I know um, this is certainly an area, uh, along with private markets, that's an area of expertise for you. Um, com- commercial real estate uh, in po- post-COVID, uh, whether it's a, a an office tower in a in a downtown core, whether it's a shopping mall uh, in a in a suburb, what do you think the future is of 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 commercial real estate in 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 your opinion? Uh, I, I'm, I'm taking it from everything we've discussed already. You think it is a an important part of a diversified portfolio. 
but wh- wh- where do you think we're heading now as, as we come out of COVID? Well, you know, we, we've talked about this before. Like you, you need to follow the population. So if, if you're in a market, if you're in a city, if you're in a neighborhood where there's demand, population growth, job growth, reasons for people to want to move there or live there, real estate will always increase in value. You know, be, just it, it's a scarce resource. They, it is very difficult to make land. Now you can fill in things and rezone things and build higher. And those are, you know, ways they artificially create more land. But at the end of the day, the land, the land, land is a scarce resource and well-located land is even a scarcer resource. So if you're beside a highway or a, or a transit node or, or certain amenities uh, or amenity rich centers, um, you have a you have a a very value a long term valuable asset. Now, you know there's going to be economic swings. Uh, we have to live through economic cycles. That's part of life. Um, but fundamentally, if you see population and job growth in the markets that you're investing in, you're going to be you're going to be okay for over the long term. Um, the only thing that can get you trouble is borrowing too much and overextending yourself too much and maybe taking on too much development risk where you know you're betting on the future a little bit too much and maybe the future takes too long to play out but uh, if you if you stay conservative and and you stay within your means and you buy in these central population and job growth markets um, you will be fine and you know you you look today at the commercial real estate market um, overall. And, and we, we tend to focus on the residential rental market, the industrial market, the retail market, and the, and the office market. Um, the, the, a lot's been written about the strength of the residential rental market. So we'll, we'll just leave that aside. And, I, and I, the, the thesis is that that market is strong today and it will be strong into the future. And Canada is a wonderful country. Uh, in terms of its open borders and immigration policies and job growth and commodities, we're, we're just in, we have the benefit of being in a wonderful country that's going to jaw, drive population growth, which will ultimately benefit the residential sector. So I have, I, I have um, a strong conviction in that sector. Industrial, same thing. Um, in Industrial, you know, in your mind, when you think about it, it's, it's, it's single level, um, big buildings that need room for trucks and Boy, it's hard to find land that fits that bill around airports and highways. You know, drive around, it's pretty much built out. So if you own it, you know, you're going to be in good shape. Um, I, you know, I hate to use a forever word, but for a long, 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 long time, um, because you own something that's just as impossible to replicate. You can't buy a piece of land around the Toronto airport that's of scale, um, to build one of these buildings, it's all built out, and so if if that's what you own today, boy, that 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 will stand the test of time, um, and and the industrial sector will will benefit from again from Canada's diversity around um, uh, it, it, its population growth will di- will drive distribution needs, its manufacturing sector we have we we do have embedded strength in our economy around the manufacturing sector. You've seen you've seen how this province is trying to 
re-energize the automotive manufacturing sector. I think long-term, the manu- manufacturing sector and the, and the, in the distribution sectors are going to drive, um, maintain the health of the industrial business. So those two, I think, are in very, very good shape. Retail has seen an interesting ride. You know, the pendulum swung too far towards um, online shopping uh, in the early days of the pandemics. It's it swung back. It certainly has swung back. We've seen people return. Um, in fact, shopping traffic, physical shopping traffic is is ahead of it where it was pre-COVID. So we've come all the way back. Sales have come all the way back in, in terms of the physical shopping center. And so I think retail right now is, is physical retail has, has really bounced back. Now, you know, what's what's looming in, in the future is a recession and, and will there be a little bit of pullback on the on the spending side? I think, you know, let that play out. Certainly higher interest rates are going to cut back on what people are willing to spend on the retail sector. But from a practical pur- purpose, I don't think the online story is going to be the, the one that 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 has a significant impact on the physical store. It's going to be a recession that has a short-term pullback. And again, I think long-term, your your money good on the retail sector, and we're seeing that play out um, both on the enclosed mall front and the open-air um, uh, grocery anchored front. So the retail sector is in great space, and now what's catching all the headlines is the office. So now it's the office market's turn to bear the brunt of the the headlines and and you know if there wasn't a news story that was negative it wouldn't make it to the the newspaper i read all about the death of the office now and how everyone is going to be working home forever and and it, uh, you know i i don't know i i've told you my theory that most of these articles are written by people that love working from home <laughs> and so what you're going to see what you're going to hear is work from home bias and and that's fine i people don't need to come back to the office five days a week for the office market to return to strength. I think what you're seeing actually is a, is, is a significant hiring pullback from technology. You're seeing a bit of the leading edge from the recession and, and some of the softer corporate profits are pulling back on office demand. This is all normal cyclical stuff that's going to happen in the office sector and, and pull back office demand and, and interestingly enough, what happens is people stop building office buildings and so supply stops. And ultimately what happens is when when demand comes back again, and that, in fact, the better buildings are actually doing quite well. It's the it's the poorly located weaker ones that are really struggling, but that's okay. The, the overall headlines are weak market and that's true. But what you're gonna see is this will cycle back and it may take a couple of years to play out. We need to get this recession passed past us but i i i know um i know because i'm sitting in the middle of it there there is there is a pent-up demand building within existing office users that hired during covid that don't have enough seats for people to return fully to the office that don't want to rent more office space so there's pent-up demand that is built through covid that I think we'll get filled in a year or two, not today because because of the looming recession, but in a year or two, that pent up demand will be released. And then the new jobs that will be created, you know, again, those people aren't going to, if you believe every new job in the future is going to be remote, okay, well, then you're not a believer in the office building. I get that. But I don't think that's realistic that every new job is going to be fully remote. In, in fact, this every survey that I've read, about 10% of new jobs will be fully remote. 90% will have some amount of office employment. And whether that's two days a week, three days a week, four days a week, it doesn't really matter. It's going to drive some office demand. And when that starts to insert itself, you combine that with the pent-up demand, 
two or three years, I think you're, and with no new supply in two or three years, I think you'll see a bounce. And so it's going to be, it's the benefits are going to accrue to those who are patient, those who are stressed that have borrowed too much or own an office building that needs capital and, and, or is in a market that isn't seeing job growth. Yeah. They're, they're going to see some stress and you're seeing that play out. In fact, in the U S um, it's a, classically market a classic market that loves to borrow money um they 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 borrow as much as they can that's their philosophy when times turn down they're they're not afraid to throw the keys back to the lender it makes for sensational headlines and so it it makes the news canada's a very different place we 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 don't we don't tend to borrow as much our loan to value is very low and uh, compared to the U.S. on the commercial side, we we don't tend to allow lenders to to take back loans. We we tend to sign recourse obligations, which means that we stand behind um, these mortgages with our with our own covenant, which is greater than just the building itself. And so it it tends to be a market where you know we 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 repay our debts. Uh, whereas in the U.S., it 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 is you know, quite normal for businesses to hand back the keys and walk away from, from buildings that, that aren't able to service their loans. So, you know, bottom line is, I think the headlines are going to continue to be written. I think we've got another year or two uh, of struggles in the office sector. Um, It'll make for some, for some pretty sensational stories involving some big names, but but in this country where we're blessed with population growth and job growth and very strong ownership with low leverage, the buildings are in good shape. We've got the wherewithal to, to, um, to, to fight through this next year or two and actually be really well positioned for the bounce that will come. Wow. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love talking to you, Michael. I, I, uh, I, I always learn something or, or at the very least uh, in in an area that I'm not as experienced in as uh, as you, and I think probably a lot of the listeners aren't as experienced, uh, just uh, just just learn about uh, you know just some of the fundamentals that drive the that drive that part of the market, and you, you know it's it's something that when I'm out talking to realtors, I'm I'm doing a lot of work with uh, with realtors these days, and and I I talk about that you know, that ongoing demand in a country like Canada, where, where we now have a, a, a target of about a half a million people. And, and maybe, you know, we even have more than that coming, uh, you, you know, on an annual basis, that that is just going to continue to drive demand. And, and it makes sense that if that spreads across the broader economy, to include industrial, more people buying stuff that's retail, more people working in a market, that's office space that over the long haul that that's going to work out. And then similar thing, we, we talk about the, the energy industry or, or a copper mine and say, you know, Hey, supplies are supply is constrained. And then, you know, as soon as demand picks up at some point in the future, well, you can't just snap your finger and, and have a new copper mine there. Same thing goes with a big office tower in a major center. That's not going to be built overnight. And, uh, and, and you have these opportunities that come up as the, uh, as you know, again, as long as you focus on quality and you, uh, you know what you're doing and you, uh, and, and you stay, uh, you stay to the, to the fundamentals. And, and then the other big thing that comes out of this conversation that we talk about all the time uh, on this podcast is that importance of diversification. So, you know, again, I think most people here own stocks and bonds. Uh, they, they may have their own home. Uh, but these are areas that are a gap in a lot of people's portfolios. Uh, and again, just the idea, and again, we are, we're always moving forward, uh, the idea that we can, we can get that now 
through someone like you is, uh, is, is, is pretty exciting. So Michael, uh, as always, just brilliant, and uh, we'll have to we'll have to do this more often. But uh, but I really appreciate you taking the time. It uh, as I say, it's always interesting, and my favorite guests are uh, are, are guests that I learned something from. So that I hope uh, everyone listening learned something from as well. It was a fascinating discussion. Yeah, well, thank you, David. It's it's always a pleasure, fun to be on with you. Thank you. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management Inc for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.